Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Ahoy there, mates. <laughs> Ahoy there, mates. Uh, well, maybe, nice, maybe John. Bob does it better. <laughs> it's me, Jamel Zanashev. And it's my good buddy, John The Rock Palmer, here doing, on Brew everybody? Strong at the Brewing Network. Another fine day in the studio, and another uh, fine, fine show sponsored by our great sponsor, morebeer.com. If you get a chance, go by morebeer.com, www.morebeer.com, and they got all sorts of great equipment for uh, your brewing needs. That's right. There are a bunch of good guys there and great customer service. Great customer service, yeah. Excellent people. And, uh, you know, speaking of excellent people and excellent homebrew shops, uh, after the conference, I went up to uh, load up the uh, the family and the and the psychotic dog in the uh, Pope uh, <laughs> the Pope mobile, and we pointed it north, and we're planning on going to, like, Canada. You have that plexiglass bubble on there? like Yes, yes. I stand uh, up there. Okay. I got my Pope hat on, and people people shoot at me. And uh, they shoot peanuts at me, yes. And uh, we we went up, and uh, our plan was to get to make it to Canada, but there's so many great gr- brew pubs, waterfalls, lighthouses, uh, parks, you know, just everything in Oregon. Oregon is a beautiful state, uh, you know, great people. We had a, just a wonderful time. And one thing uh, that happened at the conference was I ran into this guy, Matt, one, one evening. I think uh, maybe you and I ran him together, and he was talking about how uh, – they opened this new homebrew shop, and they were selling our Brewing Classic Styles book, uh, you know, left and right. And he said, everybody who comes in the shop, I tell them, this is the book you need to have. And uh, and you can actually get it from the Brewing Network store as well, signed mm-hmm. by the authors. Um, and I told him, I said, well, you know, uh, you know, where's your shop located? He said, oh, you know, Klamath Falls, Oregon. I said, well, you know, we're headed up that way for our vacation. And I said, if, you know, our, you know— if our travels take us that way, I said, I'll stop by and I'll, you know, I'll say hi. It'd be great to, you know, see your shop and, you know, uh, I can sign books and say hi and things like that. And, uh, uh, you know, he's like, great. You know, gave me his card. And I think, you know, he's figuring, oh, you know, this guy's just like, you know, blowing smoke and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll come by. If, if things work out, I'll come by. Uh, but you know, on our, on our, uh, trip back, you know, I mentioned it to my wife and she's like, Oh, you know, we need to go through Klamath Falls then. And she's, she's great. And you know, the kids are great. They're all like, Oh, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if there's something you want to see, let's, let's go and do it. So on our way back, we were heading through Klamath Falls and, uh, I emailed, uh, Matt there and, uh, his father, Steve. And I said, you know, I'm going to be there tomorrow in Klamath Falls. And, uh, you know, I'd like to stop by and say hi. And I think they were shocked. They're like, hey, you know, this guy actually is going to stop by. He said he would, but we figured he's just being nice. Uh, So I stopped by, and how nice were these guys? They, you know, they got a small shop. They've only been in business a short while. But they went to the trouble of pulling together a stainless steel pot. They filled it with bottles and cans of, you know, some of the finest Oregon uh, and outside Oregon beers. commercial beers, and they put in some uh, uh, locally brewed uh, root beer and cream soda for the kids, and they put in a bunch of snacks and stuff for the kids uh, to enjoy. And, you know, I got there. They presented me with this thing. They're like, hey, you know, this is is for you. We wanted to, you know, give you a gift and, uh, you know, welcome you and all this. I I thought that was really nice. You know, and I'm like, well, I'll return the pot, you know, after I'm done. You know, I'll load it into the RV. They're like, no, 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 pot's for you too. 
So yeah, nice stainless huh? steel uh, kettle. Free there. pot on yeah. top of it. Not pot kettle. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Great shop anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, see, uh, Matt's there. He's a, you know he's a, one of the guys in my brew club, brew right, club, right, uh, right. Crown of the Valley. And I, I tell these guys, it's like you know, really honestly, because I know people in the industry. I, I know Jamil, and so I, that's why I introduced you to him. Uh huh. Because uh-huh. you, know, uh, you know the guys in my club, they don't, they don't believe you know me. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just faking it to to kind of like sidle yeah, up to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just think I'm in the upper echelon. That's right. But uh, you know, it was just wonderful. I stopped by the shop. A, a few of the customers stopped by. You know, we took some pictures. I hung out and chatted a little bit. I, I you know signed signed some books, and then uh, we went over. I. I Took the uh, RV over to the KOA and got that set up, and then we uh, we went to uh, Mia and Pia's. It's a, like a brewery, brew pub, uh, pizza place. You know, just uh, fantastic pizza. Met the brewery owner, and then uh, they got like a sampler of twelve beers there. Uh, you know, very difficult to put on and, and keep twelve beers. We we sampled all those. Yeah. We had a few pints. We talked. Uh, you know, a bunch of people showed up, and and we sat there and and really enjoyed it. And I'll tell you, you know. I, my family hung out, and, and it wasn't the, the the most fun for me. Although me and Pia's had internet access, so my kids went and got their laptops, and uh, and they were fine. <laughs> but you know, we hung out and just had a great time, and I love that sort of thing. You know, you know, these are you know, these guys are the same as me, and you know, we enjoyed talking about the same thing. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I I, I really appreciated that, and them uh, them being there and. And uh, inviting me by and uh, getting a chance to to meet people up there, it was a wonderful time. I really really enjoyed that. I bet that was yeah yeah. Well, and now down to business, uh, Justin. What kind of uh, question do we have for Bruce Strong today? All right, today's an interesting show, and Steve has written in to ask the question about Bruce Strong. So here you go, guys. Hey, Jamil and John, this is Steve from Bangor, Maine. Right now, I'm a partial mesh brewer, and I'm currently building my MLT to go all green. I think you guys can iron out some questions for me about sparging. I want to understand all my options. So what kind of sparges can I do, and what are the advantages of those sparges? There's some difficult to do and some easier that I can do. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Love the show. Thanks in advance for all the help. All right, so well, let, let, let's start off uh, right at the beginning, John. Uh, what is sparging? It talks about well, sparging, you know. Okay. Uh, sparging, I think, I believe comes from the German word to sprinkle. And uh, so what you're doing is, you're, you're in, in essence, you're rinsing the grain bed. You're trying to introduce more water on top of the grain bed to rinse uh, sugars, retain sugars out of the grain bed, and get them to your brew kettle. Um Typically, uh, you know, you, if you talk about historic brewing um, practices, you'll hear terms like first runnings, um, small beer, you know, second runnings. And uh, when, you, when you first drain the wort from your mash tun, uh, that's your first runnings. And you'll have a pretty high gravity, uh, around 1070, 1080, depending on your, uh, uh, your water to grist ratio. And... Uh, the the uh, types of sparging you can do um, you got continuous sparging where your the amount of water you add to the grain bed equals the amount of water that you uh, remove from the grain bed you know in equals out um, batch sparging uh, what you do is you you uh, drain the first runnings from the from the pot uh, from the mash tun and then add more water another say uh, four gallons of water, fill it back up again, stir it, recirculate, and drain again. That's your second runnings. And then you combine those two warts uh, in, your, in your brew kettle. Uh, that's, so you're sparging, you're sparging in a batch. That's where the term comes from. Um, the third type is um, no sparge, where you simply use the first runnings from the, from the uh, mash tun to brew your beer. Um, if you're trying to brew a, uh, a small beer or, you know, like a 1040 or 1050 gravity beer, then you're going to want to dilute those first runnings uh, in your brew kettle. Or you can you can dilute the, uh, you know, 
after the mash is complete, you can dilute the wort in the mash tun and then drain it all to your boil kettle that way to, to get a lower gravity than 1070. But uh, sparging is all about rinsing of the grain. Okay. So uh, uh, there's fly, uh, continuous sparging, which other people call, uh, some people call fly sparging, uh, kind of on the fly, where you're going, uh, uh, you know, you're draining it and adding water at the same time in the same rate. Uh, and then there's uh, the batch sparging where you drain it all, you add more water, you drain it all again, and then no sparge where you don't do any of that. You just drain it and then out of water the kettle, and uh, to to get you the right gravity. Is that correct? Right. Okay. So, That's right. so uh, how are these uh, difficulty wise? What's the uh, what's the difference between these? Uh, you know, what what's the easiest? If I'm you just know, starting out, what what should I tackle? Well, I think most beginning all all grain brewers are doing it in a cooler. You know, in a in a cooler mash lauder ton where they've got a, a 10 gallon or 15 gallon cooler um, with a false bottom or a manifold in the bottom of it and uh, that you know a cooler is nice because it helps you retain the mash heat and you uh, conduct your mash it holds the heat well you drain out your first runnings uh, then you batch sparge with another volume of water um, and if you've only got like one burner, you can heat up this this extra four gallons of water while your mash is going on. Pour it all in at once. Stir, recirculate. You know, get the get the word homogenous there, and then drain your second runnings. And that's that's pretty easy from uh, for a beginning home brewer um, because they don't have to worry about you know inflow and outflow rates. They don't have to worry about um, ladling in a little bit of time. Which is one way to conduct a uh, continuous sparge, uh, you know, using a, a quart pitcher or something. Uh, so I, I think I think batch sparging is probably the easiest way to get started, but uh, fly sparging is certainly not difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then uh, which one requires uh, you know the most equipment as far as as far as that goes? Well, I think. Fly sparging requires uh, more equipment. Um, it's it helps when you're fly sparging to be able to put your hot liquor tank um, above the mash tun and allow uh, you know ha- and have a ball valve on the side of the kettle or something so that you can gravity feed uh, water to the top of the mash tun and gravity feed. Uh, your wort from your mash tun to the boil kettle, like and that's a lot. You'll see a lot of uh, all grainers have a like a three tier gravity fed system set up mm-hmm. like that, um, or you can use a pump mm-hmm. um, or a brew or a, a brew tree or brew stand. You know, to accomplish much the same thing. Um, but fly sparging really it works more elegantly if you've got a means to um, to set a flow rate. Of, of of water into the mash tun and set a flow rate out. And then you can just kind of stand back and monitor it. Um, but it does require, you know, additional kettles mm-hmm. uh, to do that and maybe a pump and so on. Well, and, and, and what I have is a, a pump and then a ball valve and then a, a float switch that turns the pump on and off and keeps the, the, the level of water above the uh, – the, the grain bed, the, the grain bed, at a consistent level, and uh, it's great. I set it, I forget it, I walk away. Now, yeah, float uh, switches are nice. Yeah, and uh, you know the uh, interesting thing is, you know, you don't even need a uh, ball valve. Uh, one of my great friends, uh, Dave Sapsis, who taught me a lot about uh, uh, beer appreciation and things like that, uh, he he has you know the most Belgian of uh, equipment. It's like a uh, used to be half of a barrel, you know, so it's this wood mash tun with a piece of window screen at the bottom held down by rocks, and then a piece of copper tubing shoved through the uh, the side wall, and then a piece of uh, plastic tubing coming off of that. He actually controls the, uh, the the flow out from the mash tun with a binder clip, one of these large binder clips, and uses that <laughs> to uh, control his flow rate. So it doesn't need to be as complex as a pump or uh, you know some uh, float switch and all that fancy equipment. It could be something as simple as that. 
All right, so what we should do is take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll kind of get into um, you know more of the equipment and efficiency and things like that. Back after this. Right. Brew smart. Brew strong. This is Brew Strong. That was a good club meeting. Hey, later. Hey, guys. Yo. Check this out. I brought some beer for you guys because you've done so much to help my brewing. Oh, oh cool, man. Sweet. Man. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks, thanks. man. Thanks. Yeah. Give me some thanks, nice. Man. Now, I'm still having some issues with bottling, so some may be a tad over-carbonated. Dude, just keg. We've been trying to tell you I that. Oh, I know, but it's so expensive. My bottling ain't that. Dude, dude. Dude, one your bottles just blew up. What? Everybody run! Sweet criminy. Looks like I need to start kegging. Fast! Break free from bottles at More Beer this July. Draft systems, keg taps and quick disconnects, drip trays, faucets, and more. Now's the time to get a great deal on the draft system you've always wanted or upgrade the one you already have. Get a stout faucet or just replace all your beer line. Hurry, sail on only through July and only at morebeer.com. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Double Secret Probation IPA, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and the BN Army Members Special. Wear your BN gear, get 10% off your beer. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Organic ingredients, fresh, clean, good for you, good for the planet. And Seven Bridges has the best selection in the world. Everything is a click away at breworganic.com. Join the mailing list for special deals and regular updates about new products and specials. They have been brewing organic and serving organic brewers for almost 12 years. They can help you brew great organic beer. Check out their huge 11th annual summer sale. Everything organic is on sale until July 15th. Save 10 to 50% on all organic malts, hops, adjuncts, spices, and green coffee for home roasting. Shop early for the best selection and best deals. Seven Bridges is the host and promoter of the National Organic Brewing Challenge, the only BJCP-sanctioned nationwide brewing competition just for organic beers. Take the challenge this fall for a chance to win great prizes, including a hands-on brewing experience at an organic brewery. Seven Bridges. Visit today at breworganic.com. Hilo, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Brew Strong. How about that Lance Armstrong, huh? Yeah, taking another one. Yeah, he's doing, doing pretty darn good. Yeah. Even with that nut thing, he's doing all right. That's amazing. All right. <clears throat> and, uh, he needs to drink more beer, probably. He, he does, and he wouldn't have a nut problem. <laughs> uh, it protects you from nut, nut problems, especially uh, homebrew. And overachievement. <laughs> Drinking does, yeah. If you if you put enough time and effort into it, right? It's if you're an overachiever at drinking, you're certainly not an overachiever at anything else. All right, so we're we're talking sparging, and um, 
So uh, the, the the difficulty of the the various sparging methods. You know, I when I learned, I was taught fly sparging, and yeah, me too. Uh, it seemed pretty easy once you know all all you're trying to do is add water at the, the top without stirring up the grain bed and let water run out the bottom or the the sugary liquid run out the bottom and try and do it slowly and you're trying to match what goes in at the top what comes out at the bottom right right yeah we should, you know we should before we go a whole lot farther we should mention uh the recirculation step mhm okay because uh, well, if people you know, miss that that can be annoying you well know. why not go through um let's pick one probably a lot of people doing batch sparging because it it's just simpler for them i think right yeah i mean given well, the entry a lot of people entering with mash you know cooler mash tons mm-hmm. and uh you know limited pots and so on yeah it's well, a little easier to start out that way but why don't, it's you, not a whole why don't lot. you walk us through the process the basic process from uh Start to finish. I mean, how? Yeah. At what point do I start? Where? Where? How do I start? You know, when do I start? I mean, at what point? I've got this mash sitting there. How do I know okay. it's time to start sparging? Okay. Well, in, in a very basic uh, sense, you you plan on your mash conducting your mash for about an hour. You know, um, half hour, hour is. Uh, is 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 the time range of when the mash is probably uh, done converting the uh, starches to sugars. Um, hour just gives you a little extra time. Sometimes you can go longer, but usually not necessary. So after about an hour, um, you're going to want to you're going to want to look at the mash and take a you know smell the mash, uh, look at its clarity, and you should see you know a uh, uh, I worked on top of the grain bed that's, you know, it's not cloudy. It's clear. It smells good. It smells sweet. When it's hazy, um, it's got a lot of starch in it that hasn't converted over, right? Right. So, you know, after the hour, this is all cleared up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you can you can see it and you can smell it. If you taste it, um, it's sweet. Yep. It's worked. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, though, when you start, uh, you know, if you start your sparge right away, you're going to get a whole lot of lipids and uh, uh, proteins um, into the wort that really are not that that useful. Um, they tend to p- promote staling if you don't if you don't uh, uh, get all, get some of them out of the wort. Um, so you do a recirculation step where you. You drain off a couple of quarts, the first couple of quarts of the mash, um, and this will be very cloudy wort, you know, filled with the grain particles and a little bit of husk and, and the, like I saw, the protein and so on. Pour that back, back in on top of the grain bed and, uh, you know, do one, two, four quarts of that, and the wort should be running fairly clear. Now, I don't mean crystal clear. I mean, you know, like apple cider clear. It's uh, it's not as hazy as it was, in other words. Um, so that's your recirculation step, and what it does is it gets it takes a lot of that extra lipid and extra protein out of the wort. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're ready to you know start draining your your uh, mash into the into the kettle and start your sparge. So that's kind of setting the grain bed. Yeah, you set your filter bed. Mm-hmm. A lot of people when they start. Um, mashing, you know, all grain brewing, they think, oh, I need a really fine sieve to, you know, drain to, you know, strain the grain bed to get the word out, and that's not what it is at all. The grain bed forms its own filter, right? All the husk so, material and all that uh, kind of strains out all those little pieces and parts, right? Right. So um, what you're doing when you're doing the recirculation or the Vorloff step is you're setting up that strainer. Mm-hmm. Um, the false bottom or the manifold that you use underneath the grain bed, all that's doing is just providing a physical separation of the two. The actual straining of it and the clarification of the wort is conducted by the grain bed itself. Okay. Um, so we've we've set the, the, the grain bed and we're now ready to sparge? Yeah, now we're ready to sparge. Okay. Um, if you're going to batch sparge. Yeah, just walk us through batch sparge. Okay. Um, you should have, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 
uh, one and a quarter to two quarts per pound um, in metric that works out to about, well, double those numbers. So about uh, two and a half to three liters per kilogram. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that, in that, in that mash. Liquid already in, in your, in your mash. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So you can drain that out and you're going to, the grain bed is going to uh, hold on to about um, a half quart per pound. Mm -hmm. And you're draining that into your, your boil kettle. Right. And you're draining, draining the Mm -hmm. first runnings into the boil kettle. The, the grain bed is going to hold back about a half quart per pound or about uh, one liter per kilogram. And it could be less, you know, these are, just round numbers. I'm not. We're not trying to. We're not trying to wring all the liquid out of the grain bed at this point. We're just saying, right. if you just let it drain, you're going to have about that much left over. So, so is there any you know worry about speed at this point? Should I just throw the valve wide open, or you know, do I need to like do it slowly? Or that depends a lot on your laudering system. And while I don't know that we want to get too deep into laudering systems at this point. Um, a false bottom you know, provides a lot of open area, uh, a lot of you know, a lot of suction power, if you will. If you open up the the, the drain valve all the way, uh, you can tend to compact the grain bed because of all the water rushing towards the drain, mm-hmm. and that is what no, is known as a stuck sparge. Mm-hmm. When you compact the grain bed, and it no, the wort won't won't flow, you'll see your your uh, outlet, you know, just dr- uh, dwindle to a trickle. You can pour more liquid on the top of the grain; and it just sits there and won't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, completely stuck so, shut. Yeah. So if you have a stuck sparge, what you have to do is close your valves, uh, pour more liquid in, and restir the grain bed. Get everything loose again. Get it all suspended, and then slowly open your drain valve and do your recirculation step all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you'll have disturbed the grain bed, and you'll get you'll free up a lot of protein and lipids again. Um, once you get that that uh, straining effect set, now you can start sparging again. Yeah, start but, that runoff slow. Then don't yeah. don't just throw that valve wide open. Just kind of trickle it out there and right with some some control, huh? Yeah. Once you once you got your grain bed set, you know, and you've got a good steady state, or you know, you've got some flow going, you can. Depending on your laudering system, you can open up the valve a little more, but um, and and that will you'll you'll see the liquid in the grain bed, you know, fall below the top, and uh, just let it let it drain out. You don't want to you don't want to you know force it out. You want to let all that wort just drain out by gravity, and you want to do it at a rate that's sustainable that uh, won't you know cause a stuck sparge. Um, that'll be your first runnings and, um, you can do the calculations, but you should get out of, let's say four gallons of water going into the mash and 10 pounds, you know, that's, uh, what a one and a quarter per pound, two and a half, uh, gallons. So you'll get, is that right? One and a half gallons. Um, you'll get, um, you know, about two and a half gallons of word out for your first runnings. Um, if you're trying to go for a standard five-gallon batch, you're probably going to want about six gallons or maybe you know, six and a half, seven gallons of wort in your boil kettle. And so you're going to want to add you know, another four gallons uh, of wort, I mean, I'm sorry, of water to the grain bed, re-stir it up, get it, you know, get it loose again, get, it, get the – what you're doing now is you're dissolving the leftover wort that's in the grain bed. Dissolving that into your into the water that you've added, and now you're going to do your recirculation step again, and then uh, drain out the second runnings into your brew pot. Now, this this sparge water that you're adding is this special in any way? I mean, is it uh, just tap water, run it in there th- with the hose, or do I need to, what what needs to be done to that sparge water before it, before you can use it to to rinse the grains, uh, sugar out of the grains? Well, I'm tempted to spin you a tale of um, elephants and virgins and so on. But no, just give us really, the answer. Yeah, really, you don't need to do anything. Just uh, get hot tap water or you know hot brewing water. Dechlorinated. 
The, yeah, dechlorinated right. is is a really good idea. And ideally, um, it's uh, you know around one seventy up to one seventy three was always the uh, the thing I was taught. Yeah, you don't want it to be boiling hot because uh, then you will run the risk of uh, tannin extraction from the grain husks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, hot but not boiling. Uh, one seventy, one seventy five, that ballpark is is good. Mm-hmm. You'll you'll add that water. That's your sparge water in. You can pour it in because you're bad sparging. Restir to get everything you know homogenized. Recirculate and drain again, and that's your second runnings. And now you should have six and a half, seven gallons in your brew pot of uh, wort that um, is probably about a seventy-five percent efficiency. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're off and running. All right. So <clears throat> fly sparging is pretty much the same thing, except you do the recirculation step where you set your grain bed. And then right. you open the valve and water's coming out. And you just pour in, instead of pouring in all the water at once, you just pour in little amounts of water. You keep like an inch or so on the top of the grain bed. And right. you just keep the top of the grain bed wet. And it used to be the theory was, well, you're protecting the grain from oxygen and any sort of uh, oxidation that uh, might produce a staling effect, hot side aeration. And we, we know from our hot side aeration show that that's really not going to be a problem at all. But uh, right. people have uh, will put like a plate on the top of the grain bed and pour the water on that so it doesn't disturb the, the grain bed. Really, you can disturb the top uh, if you've got a... Uh, you know, a foot deep grain bed, you can disturb the top eight inches. And one. It, yeah. it, it doesn't make a difference. It's it's just fine. Um, yeah. So that's really the only difference now. Uh, so it's pretty simple. The thing that uh, uh, that I also you, you were talking about there. Uh, well, uh, well, let me get back to that later. But all right. Okay. So that's 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 a uh, fly sparging. Okay, you you describe batch and fly sparging is very similar. You know, you don't have two recirculation steps. You don't stir up the grain bed or anything like that in between. Right. And then uh, the no sparge is really just batch sparging again with adding water directly to the kettle to uh, thin out that that those runnings yeah. or starting with a looser mash. Right. Uh, you can do it two ways, but it, it but you're essentially correct in that. The, the 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 gist of it is that you're only doing the one recirculation step and draining first runnings only. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, depending on your grist ratio, uh, your first runnings are in the neighborhood of 1070 to 1080. And if you're trying to brew a 1050 or a 1040 or a 1060 beer, you're going to need to dilute that. And you can do that dilution either before the sparge or after the sparge doesn't matter it you know it all amounts to the same thing the same volume in the boil kettle um it depends really more on uh what size cooler you have if if your cooler can accommodate um you know the extra water up front well, you, you know probably get a little more efficiency out of adding the water to the to the mash yeah yeah, yeah. it's probably a little more efficient but uh you know one of the th- the things that is important about no sparge brewing is the quality of the wort that's coming out is said to be of a higher quality. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's a flavor. little bit richer. Yeah, a little richer flavor. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you as you sparge, you tend to you tend to um, draw out more uh, tannins, more silicates. Um, in some cases, you can you can call that the the graininess or a, a grainy character from the beer from the you know in the beer um in other cases you'll call that an astringency you know mm-hmm. um depends on the degree to which you're doing it but you know if you if you try if you if you try for like 95 percent efficiency where you've wrung every last bit of sugar out of a grain bed to get you know your 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 boil kettle volume and so on get maximum efficiency you're going to notice um a grainier huskier mm-hmm. little drier character in that beer mm-hmm. than if you had uh only tried for say 75 percent efficiency and uh you know not wrung every last bit of wort out of the grain bed you're going to end up with a little richer mellower 
uh, beer, a little more rounded character. Well, that's one of the reasons I always, you know, I target around 70% because I don't want to push it that far. And, you know, grain's cheap and, uh, you know, I want the best beer I can make. Here's here's one question for you. All right. So we, we talked about when we start and we talked about the process. How do you know when to stop? Um, good question. When you're fly sparging, uh, the old rule of thumb was stop when you're around 10, 12 gravity. Um, if you look in multi brewing science by, uh, Briggs et al. Um, like two to three Plato. Yeah. Uh, even four Plato, there's a graph in there that shows that four Plato is when, at least in one experiment, that's, this is the kind of key here, you know, one experiment they did where in a graph that they published in Multi-Ruined Science, you see the silicates and, and the pH rise significantly when you got down to about 4 Plato. 4 Plato being about 1016 mm-hmm. gravity. Now, you know, that's that one data point, or at least that one graph that we're talking about. Um, you can go further. You can go down to 1012. You can go down to 108. But as I said, the more you sparge, the more of a, of a grainy character you're going to start imparting to the beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, taste what you're brewing and use that knowledge to help you adjust your process. Um, the, uh, so how do, you, how do you know when to stop? Well, I, really, I try to plan when I'm, when I'm devising recipes and, and planning out my beer – I want to I want to hedge my bet. I want to put in more grain, you know that like you say, go for a lower lower overall efficiency, so that I will hit my uh, my boil volume my the target boil volume before I've exhausted the sugars in the grain bed. I'm going to leave you know maybe a gallon of of you know good sugar behind, mm-hmm. but that's okay. That's you know that's a little lower quality wort. Um, it's what they used to call, you know, second or third runnings, small beer, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was table beer and so on. If we're trying for real beer quality and richness, um, it's okay to leave that, you know, that those last runnings behind in the mash tun. Right. And so you, you stop when you get to your, well, your target boil volume. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's the way I do it. And I really, I really like it because you get, you get to a volume, you can see it, you know what the point that is. And there's no measurement other than, you know, maybe with your yardstick, you say, okay, I've reached, reached volume, done. And you don't have to worry about uh, constantly monitoring the, uh, you know, the runoff or uh, whatever uh, gravity it is. You do it the first few times and ensure mm-hmm. yourself that you're high enough up that you're not really uh, pushing it. And then uh, from then on, you don't even have to really worry about it. But, you know, one thing that I've always done, because I was told that when the pH rises – you tend to extract more tannins. If you keep the pH low, you won't ever extract tannins. So I've right. always uh, adjusted my sparge water for pH. I use a lactic acid, and I adjust it down to about uh, you know five five point three, and then I use that, and I figure, well, there's really no way that I, I need to worry about uh, uh, you know extracting tannins uh, from the sparge. You, you think that's uh, worthwhile, or am I wasting my time? Well, it, it's a good. I mean, the the theory is sound. Um, it, I think it's maybe overkill. Mm-hmm. Um, but there again, listen to our water shows, the Water Ganza, where we talk a little bit about mash pH and how that can change, and uh, you know, adding acid, adding salts to your water. The in a uh, in a, in, a, in a mash that where we've tuned it and we've planned that recipe to about 70, 75, 80% efficiency, there's going to be enough uh, sugar left behind in the grain that the pH rise isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Where there's enough buffering capacity in that grain bed that a pH rise is usually not a problem. Now, if you have highly carbonate water or alkaline water, as we call it, um, where the pH of the water is, well, you'll see it around eight and a half or nine. Um, but like we said, that's a that's a ratio kind of number. pH is an indicator. What you need to look at is the total alkalinity of the water. If the alkalinity is high, 
hundred and you know hundred and fifty two hundred parts per million uh, that water will tend to raise the pH of the grain bed as you sparge. So that's when acidification is really justified. Um, if your total alkalinity is less than 150 or, you know, say down near 100, then um, if you plan on 75% efficiency, I don't think you're going to have a problem with, with pH rise and tannin extraction in your, in your uh, grain bed. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, talking about efficiency. One last quick question before we uh, take another break. Uh, Steve was asking, uh, what technique would give me the highest efficiency, and what's the highest efficiency I can get from my grains? And again, you don't necessarily want to go for the highest efficiency. That's not necessarily right. the unless you're a commercial brewer and you're worried about uh, the cost of uh, grain per batch and all that, and what you can sell your beer for. For homebrewers, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but which one of these techniques is supposed to be the most efficient? Well, fly sparging is the most efficient. Um, and, again, it, it also depends on your laudering system. If you've got a false bottom and uh, in your fly sparging, you can easily get 90% efficiency um, if you really slow down the, the inflow and outflow rate mm-hmm. where, um, I guess, I forget what the, the number was. It was like... Uh, quart per minute or less than that but i mean so in other words your total sparge time for a you know a five gallon batch would be somewhere around the neighborhood of uh half an hour 45 minutes mm-hmm. um you can get up up to 90 percent efficiency where you've you can almost see the concentration concentration gradient in the grain bed but, you know and the water just flow through but you don't even uh, really want to do that no, you really right. you if so so in actuality really any of these techniques is fine. Batch sparging yes. may be a little less efficient, but it's perfectly good for what we're trying to do. We're not trying yeah. to milk every last bit of sugar out of those grains. Right. We're just trying to make great now, beer. So yeah. batch sparging will do that. No sparging right. will do that. Fly sparging will do that. Right. However, <laughs> if you're getting if you're getting fifty percent efficiency, uh-huh. Uh, that I, I would say that there are, wake up is, yeah, there's room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. If you, if you're, if you're below, I think the BYO articles that, uh, you and I write, um, you know, we are, we're told to assume a 65% efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're below 65, I, I'd say, you know, work on it. Yeah. You know, 65 is, is fine. 70 is fine. 75 is fine. You know, 80 is fine. Should be in that range, you know, sixty yeah. to eighty. If you're not in that range, then then work on it a little bit. And uh, yeah, well, why don't we take a break? And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, you know what kind of uh, false bottoms, bags, filter pads, whatever you, you put at the bottom to kind of strain this stuff out. Back after this. Okie doke. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. 
White Labs, your source for maltose mowing monsters, announces the White Labs Platinum lineup for 2009. Looking for out-of-the-ordinary yeast to make the best beer possible? The Platinum strains from White Labs are only available for a limited time and make your homebrew stand out. Through February, find Australian Ale, Essex Ale, and Dusseldorf Alt Yeast. March and April, it's Nottingham Ale, Abbey 4, and Mexican Lager Yeast. And May through June, don't miss Premium Bitter Ale, Belgian Wit 2, and Belgian Bastogne Ale Yeast. Keep up with all the great yeasts in the White Labs Platinum Program at whitelabs.com, where you can also join the White Labs Customer Club. Brew with the freshest and most unique yeast with the White Labs 2009 Platinum Strains. White Labs. It's all in the vial. In the past year, the Brewing Network has been able to add two new shows, expand our studio capabilities and quality, and bring more beer information home to you than ever before. In no small part, this is due to subscribers like you. Thank you from all of us at the Brewing Network. Without your monthly support of any denomination, we could not bring you the very best in live beer radio like Can You Brew It? Brew Strong and the Sunday Session. Haven't signed up yet? Join your fellow brewers in the BN Army. Sign up today at thebrewingnetwork.com for a recurring donation as little as $2 a month. Besides all the great live radio you'll support, every subscriber is automatically entered in monthly raffles for amazing brew gear like a conical firm a temperature control system, or your own draft setup. Become a part of the Bee and Army today. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're talking Spargin on the Brewing Network. Brew Strong. All right, so John, just before the break, we were talking about, uh, I don't know, something about Spargin. Uh, yep. <laughs> the, the beer's good tonight. Um, we're kind of going to get into the equipment. False bottoms, manifolds, right. bags, filter pads. Um, I've seen them all. Uh, the Charlie Papazian zap-pap thing where you got a plastic right. bucket inside a plastic bucket and you drill a billion little tiny holes in it mm-hmm. so all those things work i know but uh why would i choose one over the other what's the reasons for doing a false yeah. bottom or a, a copper manifold or a pvc manifold or uh, it's i think it's really bag or for home brewers it boils down to convenience uh-huh yeah what's the most convenient for you mm-hmm. um and that might be cost right Right. It might be cost. It might be availability. It might be, you know, it might be an inspiration you had or uh, looking at seeing a, a friend's system that you want to copy or, you know, seeing on the Internet you read about and you want to copy. Um, there's there's really uh, two kinds. Um, now, three. Okay. Three kinds. No, four. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, really. There's the, the false bottom. Uh-huh. Which is the most uniform in terms of you know you're presenting a a uniform homogeneous area for draining across the entire grain bed, mm-hmm. and that could be little holes in a piece of perforated stainless, or it could be uh, uh, that triangle Perf- steel that's put into slots in a in a pro system, uh, right? Anything perforated like that across the entire yeah. surface, yeah. The uh, the fills false bottoms are real nice. I mean, they're they're a perforated you know um, plastic sheet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fit well in the round coolers. Although um, it doesn't cover the entire bottom, does it? No, but but you cover most of the bottom and you're and you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, same with uh, if you, in a Sankey keg or a converted keg, if that's what you, or a, a brew pot if if you're um, mashing lauding one of those. Get a false bottom that covers you know ninety percent of the bottom, and you've got a very uniform right. system. I'll tell you, our you, our, uh, our great sponsor, More Beer, they actually have those false bottoms, uh, not in plastic, but they have them in stainless. Those little right. uh, domed false bottoms, they got them actually in stainless. So you can pick that up at morebeer dot com. Good stuff. Anyways, yep. uh, continue. And uh, a false bottom is real nice for, like I said, getting a real uniform rinsing of the grain bed and real uniform collection from the grain bed. 
Um, the danger, as I mentioned earlier, is that if you open the valve wide open, uh, you also have a lot of area to pull water from the grain bed with, and you tend to compact the grain bed. Now, if you go to the second system, which is a slotted pipe manifold, um, you can have uh, you can have a single pipe running down the length of your uh, grain bed, and uh, that'll work. Um, but you're going to lose. You're not going to get flow from the grain out at the edges of the mash tun. You know, it's the the wort doesn't like to travel horizontally to the to the pipe. It travels, you know, basically gravity downwards. And you'll I've done studies in in an aquarium with uh, food coloring that show me that you get like a you know 35 40 degree. Uh, uh, gradient, you know, coming convergence, um, coming to that single pipe manifold. If you do, if you put more pipes on the manifold and to cover more of the uh, grain bed area, then you will uh, you know, rinse more uniformly, and you'll you can approach um, a false bottom in terms of efficiency, in terms of uniformity of rinsing of that grain bed. Um, the other type of uh, um, manifolds or the sparging system or lottering system is a uh, what, what's called like a bazooka screen, a uh, stainless steel screen, stainless steel mesh that forms a single tube or a single ring um, that you drain from. And there again, the same you know hydrodynamic laws apply where you're going to get convergence um, of flow, you know, ang- uh, angling of flow to that collection area and you may you know lose out on rinsing uh you know the grain out at the sides of the grain of the cooler or or your whatever your mash ton is but uh you can still easily get um 70 efficiency out of a out of a system like that of us out of a single pipe or single screen uh you can get 70 percent efficiency mm-hmm. well and how about uh i've seen people use those large uh Nylon painter's bags. It's a mesh bag that fits right. like inside a bucket. I've seen people use the zap pap thing where they, they drill a bunch of holes in one bucket and stick it inside another bucket. And then also I've mm-hmm. seen uh, uh, what's essentially filter pads. And they lay uh, a single pipe down in the in the bottom and they put a filter pad over the top of it, a filter pad that fills the entire mash tun and then the grain sits on top of it and you get uh, you know perfectly uh, crystal clear wort out of it. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine and I years ago did a study where, um, if you look in the appendix of how to brew, you'll see, uh, different manifold systems and, and comparison of, uh, different laudering systems. And we figured out that if you simply drilled a hole in the side of, uh, the bucket and, you know, in other words, you, you didn't have any kind of screen or anything at all, you simply collected all the work from, from, from a hole in the side of the bucket, you could get 55% efficiency out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more you do to distribute your collection area, you know, the more you'll improve on that. Now, if uh, if you use a, 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 a grain bag system with a wart collection tube underneath that, that will work very well if you have a way of um, unrestricting the flow, you know, that is uh, holding that grain bag above the tube um, so that you have uh, better ease of flow underneath the grain bag than you do inside the grain bag. If if the grain bag, in other words, if the grain bag is sitting flat on the bottom of the bucket and this tube just goes, you know, is resting on the bottom of the bucket also and the grain is, you know, has flattened itself and flattened the bag out. So, you know, kind of contouring itself to that tube laying on the bottom of the bucket, you're going to get essentially that 55% because um, all the all the flow has to converge through the grain bed to get to the opening of the tube. However, if you are able to lift that bag up, so now you have some free space under the bag, you know, some no grain bed, just free liquid that can flow to the tube. 
Now you've got a false bottom system, and you're going to get much better efficiency out of that, um, approaching 90% uniformity. So that that's that's the caveat to using the the uh, the you know screen bag approach. Mm-hmm. Um, is you want to you want to unrestrict that flow to your collection tube. Okay. One one last uh, equipment question before we turn to questions uh, from the chat room. Uh, how big a uh, mash louder ton do you need in order to? Uh, sparred, say, 20 pounds of grain, like a, your average 10-gallon batch of uh, average beer? Oh, gosh. Um, I've, got a, I've got equations on how to brew to address that. But for a standard 10-gallon got cooler, you know, these round beverage coolers that you see in Home Depot and so on, the run, these are orange mm-hmm. cylindrical 10-gallon coolers, I believe you can fit That's about forty quarts. That's an average. Yeah, one right. I believe you can fit eighteen pounds of grain in there at um, I think it's one and a quarter quarts per pound. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll that'll get you up to about ten seventy five in terms of gravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a um, about a fourteen gallon uh, mash ton and. And I can put uh, about thirty some odd pounds of grain in there before I top it yeah. out, and that's enough to do. Uh, uh, you know, I can do uh, box and stuff, uh, ten gallons a box type of thing with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, the, it's about t- you about can, ten gallons get you about twenty pounds. It's yeah, close. Right, and you know you can always you can always top up with a little DME. Yeah, keep yourself right. do like Mike McDowell does, Tasty McDowell. Have yourself a, a bag of DME, you know, a light, the ultra light DME, uh, you know, dry malt extract. And then if you find yourself a little short or your recipe, you know, requires more than your mash tunnel hold, just uh, you know, add the DME and place some of the base grain. Just add it to your brew kettle and dial yourself in just off of that, and, and you're fine. You're, you're really not going to notice a whole lot of flavor difference. Right. Anything else you want to add about sparging before we uh, hit the chat room here? Um, no, I think that covers all the things I had in mind. Okay. So let's let's see what some questions are. All right. Chat room's hanging out. They've got uh, a couple quick questions. First one uh, for you, Palmer. It's about your book. Um, you oh, know, yeah. You know that one you wrote, uh, How to Brew? Yeah. Yeah. I Don't recall. That. Yeah. It's that one. <laughs> Jay-Z doesn't remember it. Uh, no, Wood's in the chat room, and he says, uh, hey, I used those 10-gallon orange coolers and batch sparge on a on a B3 1550-esque rig with a pump and a false bottom. So, mm-hmm. Palmer, if I take out the false bottom and replace it with a stainless braid, like is in your appendix, um, yeah. can we batch sparge then? Yes. We but can you, batch you sparge can, with that you, false bottom, too. Yes. Well, they do. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. he's just thinking about replacing it. Wonder if he can keep batch sparging. Oh, huh. yeah. Yeah, you you can. Um, the 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 one caveat with with stainless steel braids is you want to make sure they don't collapse. Okay. Because if they collapse, then you you really restrict flow, um, and uh, you want them, you know when you're stirring your grain and so on, and that that braids down the bottom, you don't want to. You know, catch it with the paddle and rip it, rip it off the um, spigot. You know, the pipe, because that that's happened to me, and that's that's annoying. It's really yeah, kind of you, know, you hate to rip your spigot off your pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of sounds like a downgrade to me to to replace the false yeah, bottom. I, with I would a, stick with the false bottom. The false bottom's better. Yeah, yeah. I, and it, the, I, I'm sure. Does he say the, what his problem is with the false bottom? Well, or? I think he's wondering about efficiency, and I don't know that he's having a problem with it. But he, his follow up was, you know, if we did replace it, and then we could batch sparge with the stainless steel, what would the efficiency look like? He says right now they're getting about seventy four and a half percent. Efficiency will go down. Uh, he says they're getting seventy four and a half percent fly sparging. Yeah, efficiency yeah. will go down. Okay, they're have lower getting, efficiency. Okay. Yeah, you can get. I mean, you can easily, like I said, you can easily get ninety percent efficiency fly sparging if you slow down um if you're getting 75 percent right now that's fine um, yeah, haven't yeah, i heard you I say that's change. fine jamil yeah why change yeah. yeah yeah i would i would stick with what you have mm. the 
the braid really isn't going to buy you anything. Um, if, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe they're concerned about foundation water and, and, um, but I really, if they're getting 75% now, they're good. But even yeah. that foundation water is really no problem. Okay, so foundation water is that water that's beneath your false bottom before the grain. So you get your, your, your bottom of your mash tun, you've got a, a plate. Underneath that plate, uh, on mine it's only uh, like three-quarters of an inch, half an inch high. So the water underneath there is foundation water. On the more recent Morbier systems are like an inch, inch and a half high. That water is really no problem. Don't don't even worry about that. Um, you don't even count that into your calculations. Just leave it in there, and uh, you know you do your mash. When you go to sparge, nice slow, steady sparge. Um, you know all that that water underneath there. It's got the sugars in it. It'll run out, and you know it eventually get replaced with uh, you know the the thinner sparge water uh, sugars. So uh, not a problem. You know. Yeah. Slow and easy, and uh, you know, false okay. bottom should work work quite well. Mm-hmm. All right, and last question from the chat about this tonight is um, Bike Foolery is in the chat room, and he wants to know what you two think about the brew in a bag technique, where he says there's it's a very thin mash and there's no sparge. Um, have either one of you used this? Do you have any thoughts about the brew in a bag technique? Um, I've I've used it um, or trialed it, and it works. I mean, there's a lot of – I've talked with a lot of brewers in Australia that use it. Um, I – maybe I'm just a, a beer geek and a techno geek, but I really don't see a, a reason to use the beer in the bag technique unless you're severely restricted on um, equipment or space. And I think that was the case with bike, as I saw him chatting in there, is it is an equipment, uh, a wife, and a space problem. <laughs> said, okay. I mean, so is it, you know, can you can you get a good, uh, 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 can you get good efficiency? Is it, is, do you think it's a, yeah. yeah. The, the, like I said, if you, if you uh, raise the bag up off the bottom, so that, or in, in the case of the bag, the bag, beer and, uh, brewing a bag system you're lifting the bag out and draining your wort into your uh ton and uh people have you know expressed concerns about um the lack of the vorloff step extra lipids in the beer uh, extra protein in the beer potential oxidation of the beer uh you know a good healthy vigorous fermentation is going to clear up any worries you have of hot side aeration and uh you know, oxygen uh, before the boil um, at that stage. So it works, and brewers in Australia report good clarity. Um, yeah, go for it. Know, if, yeah. if you've got if you got a little more space, then you might want to you know do it the way we do it. I don't know. It's up yeah. to you. I'd, I'd leave you all with with this one thought that you know it's very very easy to make wort. Uh, you could do a lot of really crazy things, and it'll all just work out just fine. It's really not a problem, and the quality of the wort will be very high. It, you know, it's like the grains want to turn into wort, and you know, a good fermentation, like John's saying, will solve a lot of ills in, in production of wort. As long you know, focus on the fermentation. Don't worry so much. If, you, if you're looking at buying equipment, buy it to control your fermentation, like fermentation temperature, which we're going to talk about in the next show. And, uh, you know, if you're listening live, stay tuned. You'll get to hear about uh, controlling your fermentation temperature. Not necessarily why, but uh, how you go about it. What's what's all the tricks and techniques for, for getting uh, good fermentation temperature control. So let me kind of recap here. Uh, sparging is rinsing the sugars out of the grain into the boil kettle. And that's what uh, your yeast are going to ferment. So it's an important step. But uh, there's several methods, fly sparging or continuous sparging, batch sparging or no sparging, and all of them work just great. You don't have to really worry about which one you do. Do whichever one's most comfortable for you because you really don't have to worry about efficiency. Uh, efficiency, as long as you're in that you know, 60 to 80% range, pa, you know, you're, you're good. It's, it's not a problem. If you're outside that range, then, then maybe it's a, an issue. So there's a, it's a big, juicy target there, and most of the techniques you'll use will get you in that range, and you'll be just fine. 
Uh, you could use any number of pieces of equipment. Uh, the more like a false bottom your equipment is, the, the higher the efficiency you can get. Uh, the slower you go, uh, you know, the more efficiency you get. Again, efficiency isn't the end-all, be-all. It's really, uh, you know, about uh, work quality. Um, you want to stop when you're, you know, before you get to a certain level as far as the remaining sugars. You know, uh, three, four Play-Doh, and uh, you're fine. Uh, you recirc before you start, and then you slowly run the, the word out. It's going to take you maybe half an hour to an hour for a 5 to 10-gallon batch. Um, and let's see, uh, pH, uh, you can adjust the sparge water. might be overkill. Temperature, you're going to be around the you know 170 range if you can. It, it just helps. Things be more viscous and flow more easily, and you're, it's easier to rinse the sugars out if you have the water hot. But, you know, if it's just warm water, that'll work, too. Other than that, you don't need any adjustments on your water. And uh, if you get a stuck sparge, if you're running it out too fast, stop, close the valves. You know, if it's, everything stops running out, and, you know, stir up your grain and, uh, you know, recirculate again, and, and you'll be just fine. You'll be off and running again. So sparging really isn't that difficult, and it's very similar to steeping grains, uh, the mash. So if you haven't gone all grain uh, and you're interested in it and you got the space and the time, uh, it can be a lot of fun. It's really not difficult at all to, to make a good wort from the... Uh, the the mash and uh, like I said we're coming up on uh, another Brew Strong show where we're going to talk about fermentation temperature control uh, in the meantime why don't you cruise over to uh, www.morebeer.com check out our great sponsor they got lots of really interesting gear that's where I bought all my equipment and uh, that's the equipment that I've been I've been using for brewing and uh, I really love it good guys good products good shipping good service uh, love them to death, and they help keep this show going. So uh, make sure you let them know how much you appreciate that. Also, if you get a chance, uh, there's that donate button. You want to keep this show going? Uh, go to the homepage, thebrewingnetwork.com, and uh, there's a donate. Two bucks a month actually gets you in the raffle that More Beer provides. They're providing great gear, and you can win like uh, people want a sculpture this month. So uh, lots of cool stuff that they give away. Uh, also, check out the store. And there's shirts, hats. There's Bruce Strong shirts, which I really love. And uh, BN anniversary shirts, special edition. Oh yeah. And BNA four commemorative glasses. So lots yes. of special edition stuff that's never going to be here again. Stuff. Lots of good stuff that you can get in the store. And it all goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and keeps uh, shows like this and uh, the Sunday Session and uh, Can You Brew It going. So uh, you know, if you get a chance, uh, check that out. Until then, you know, keep brewing, uh, keep experimenting, and uh, brew strong. Brew strong, everybody.